picked a good Sunday to be here. I just need a sucker afterwards. So maybe one of the kids can, can go ahead and uh, can give me one of those to share. But um, I'm actually excited that we've got our family with you also this morning. And uh, uh, so uh, my wife, Nikki, she was uh, with me last year too, and she's here again uh, this morning. But our daughters, Lily and Evie, are here. They're not just up on the picture. They're here in the front row. And so um, I'll just say this now because I'll forget later, but stop by and see us afterwards. We're going to linger in the lobby for a few minutes. We've got a table with just some pictures, uh, just little glimpses, really conversation starters about um, some of the stuff going on in Columbia. But we would love just to uh, chat with you for a minute and, and to thank you personally, which is the other thing I want to not forget to say this morning. We are so grateful that you have really been a cornerstone church for us. Since we uh, went to the field, you have uh, just been faithful in your giving and in your prayer and in your encouragement. Several of you, even this morning, just came up and shook her hands and said, we are praying with you. We are reading your updates. We're journeying with you. And so uh, we are just so grateful for that. It feels like I think this is the only church we've been speaking at every year, and part of it's like our connection just goes deep. We don't want to miss out on the opportunity, and one of these years, I'm going to time it right, so I'm not here the Sunday before, like you're camping and your potlucks and all that. I feel like we're always here one week before we just hear it get announced, so one of these times, we're going to show up there and uh, enjoy some time with you, too. Um, we're just so grateful for uh, this chance that we get to come back and share. And kids, I want to tell you, today, uh, even though I, I, I wasn't aware that you guys were going to be in here, I'm so excited about this because what we want to talk about is uh, some truths that are timeless and that apply whether you're an adult, a grandparent, a parent, a kid. I think the Lord has a good message for each of us today because today isn't just a report on what is going on in Colombia or what God's doing in Latin America. I really believe that the Lord has a word for you today, something that will be applicable to your life right here and now to what God is doing, what God's inviting you into uh, in your life, whatever that looks like. And so um, I just want to just say quickly, uh, this is our family, and for those of us um, those of you who may not know us yet, we get the chance to serve uh, just outside of Bogota. And so I forgot to ask, is there a way to click slides or should I just do this? But go ahead and put our map up there if you don't mind. We're just outside of Bogota in a place called Cajica, Colombia. And uh, we've been there for about uh, two and a half years. Um, just got there right before the, uh, the pandemic started. And two and a half years really isn't that long, but it's long enough for the world to change, right? Thank you so much, Pastor Steve. That's great. Awesome. It is long enough for the world to change. We've had so much happen over these last uh, two and a half years. You know, there's been this pandemic, and uh, that's kind of had ups and downs, and, and we've, had, um, we've had children come visit us on the stage, and we've had, uh, you know, we've had some crazy things, some really hard things. The war in Ukraine uh, with Russia has happened in the last two and a half years. We've had elections in the states. We've had elections in Colombia. We've had, uh, you know, we've had monkeypox. What is going on with monkeypox, right? Like, what a crazy thing that's been happening. But two and a half years is also long enough 
for us to be able to see the move of God in some pretty incredible ways. And so I'm not just going to talk about Columbia, but I want to just give you a quick, a quick brief glimpse into some of the stuff that's been happening. We have seen people coming to Christ in some incredible ways over the last two and a half years. This is one of the first baptisms in a new church that is just being planted now. We've seen disciples being multiplied like in this group in northern Colombia. We've seen new churches being planted. This is where we gather on Sunday mornings. A new church that just in August we believe is going to be uh, formally recognized as a fellowship, which is kind of our, uh, our speak for uh, a church that's fully, well, it's on its way to being fully established, the first new fellowship in Colombia in about 12 years. We're seeing all kinds of stuff happening all throughout Latin America, and a big part of that is because it's not just individual countries doing their own thing. Let me see if we can advance here. We are seeing, oh, there we go, now we got, let me go back one, maybe you can help me. We're seeing 17 countries from Argentina in the south to Mexico in the north, all throughout the Spanish-speaking Latin American world, coming together, working with one unified vision, with one purpose, with, with kind of strategies that are more and more being aligned, and we're really excited about that. I just want to share that vision with you in a second, but let me tell you that as we've come together, we've been able to share resources. We're training across the 17 nations. We're praying together. If there's a request in Guatemala, we want to know about it in Uruguay. If there's something happening to celebrate in Paraguay, we want to share that with our churches in Mexico and so on and so forth. We've got care groups where every single key leader throughout Latin America is connected to other key leaders. We don't believe in having lone rangers, but we get to be able to pray for and encourage and support our leaders. We've got coaching happening, crossing international boundaries. In fact, even though we're in Colombia, I coach leaders in Guatemala and Mexico, and Nikki's working with teams that serve uh, children and taking care of children's discipleship curriculum throughout the the continent. And this is something that just a few years ago was unthinkable, but the pandemic has brought us together. Zoom has become an incredible resource for us. And we focus together on this one vision statement, which is to be able to participate with God in the restoration. Could you just say that word? The restoration of Latin America. There we go. The restoration of Latin America. And I share this on purpose this morning because it's short and sweet, but it's surprisingly powerful. It's surprisingly rich. I continue to discover that what we mean by restoration is so much more than you might think at first. See, when we think about restoration, you might think about what I had in my mind when I was in college. I had a, my best friend back in uh, college came home with the news one day that he had been given a classic car from the 1950s. And I was blown away. I'm like, where did you get this? Oh, it's a friend of a friend, and, and he didn't need it anymore. And I'm picturing something that's been perfectly preserved in some old grandma's driveway or garage for the last 50 years kind of thing. And he said, it's just been given to us. And so I'm starting to dream about how cool it would be to have this, this car that we could share. You know, I had something in my mind sort of like this. If it comes up there, this idea of this beautiful 1950s classic that we were going to have, and I was going to drive around campus, and every cutie on campus would have their head turned. Don't worry, Nikki, it was before I fell in love with you. Don't worry about that. But I had this image 
you know, this was going to be amazing. We're going to have this car. And then when we actually had it delivered to us, it didn't look at all like that. It looked more like this. A rust bucket, right? This thing just was falling apart. I understood why someone was trying to get rid of it once we got it. And I thought, okay, that's no big deal. We're going to go ahead and restore this thing, right? Wrong. (laughs) We bought a packet of sandpaper, and I started sanding this thing. My friend was sanding it. We got tendonitis sanding the thing all day, all night. But the thing was, it was rusting faster than we could sand it. You know, it was just falling apart in front of our eyes. Finally, we got rid of that and handed it off to someone else who had a dream about a classic car. But the thing is, we realized, you know, this is how we think about restoration sometimes. The point of a restored car would be what? It would be to get it back to the moment it drove off the factory floor. Get it back as good as new. To have it look, smell, feel like it did the day it rolled off the plant for the first time. But that's how we think about restoration. I want to tell you, though, that the truth about God's restoration is this. When God goes to work, the end result fully surpasses the original. You with me, church? Like, God doesn't just renew. God doesn't just restore. God doesn't just refurbish something. God recreates in such a way that what you end up with is far beyond what you started with. Are you with me this morning? Like, I don't know. I'm not just talking about Latin America here. I'm not just talking about missions. We're talking about your life. I long for each one of us to grab onto this. When God gets to work, he doesn't just buff out the dings in something. He turns that something into something far beyond what he started with, like maybe this. You know, if he took that rust bucket, maybe he'd turn it into something like that. Can you imagine? And I don't say that just because it's some idea, some cute thought. I say it because when we see the God of Scripture at work, he takes something and turns it into something greater throughout Scripture. Let me just do something fun with you this morning. I'd like to trace the word glory throughout Scripture. We've already sung about that this morning. I just want to trace this word through scripture. Now, the first time we see this word in scripture is in Exodus 19, and uh, we see it in conjunction with this experience on Sinai. I'm not going to read the passage. It's a really long thing. It's 15 chapters long. I want to condense for you, but starting in 19 and then ending up in Exodus 34, you can check this story out later. There is this new thing that God does where the, the presence of God, his manifest presence settles on top of this one mountain called Sinai in the desert. And the people have come up to the foot of the mountain and there are peals of thunder, kind of like that song we were singing about as we look forward to what it'll be like in heaven in his glory. But there were peals of thunder and lightning and there was all this incredible cloud and the mountain itself is quaking under the presence of God, which had descended there. And and it's not really a biblical word, but Hebrew scholars came up with a word to talk about this. They called it the Shekinah glory of God. God's presence manifest in this incredible way. And I want to tell you, when that happened, it was something brand new. Never had happened before. 
I mean, Adam and Eve, they enjoyed God's presence in the garden. Enoch walked with God. Abraham was God's friend. Noah had heard from God. But when this moment happened, the world had never experienced God revealing himself in a place and time like that before. Are you with me? It was incredible. In fact, if you had been there, I'm sure you probably would have nudged the person next to you and said, well, I am sure that is as good as it gets. But if you had said that, guess what? You would have been wrong because God was just getting warmed up. (laughs) In fact, just after this very next thing, uh, with the instructions about building the tabernacle, Moses uh, gets to work. They build the tabernacle. They dedicate it soon after. And in Exodus 40, verses 34 and 5, when the tabernacle was completed, God again descends upon this place, this this, uh, this, this place built by human hands with this Shekinah glory, and it happens in such a way that Moses can't even enter the tabernacle when it's dedicated. And it's incredible because now God's glory isn't just on one mountain for a few days. Now it goes with them, Exodus forty thirty eight says, throughout all their travels. There's a pillar of cloud during the day, a pillar of fire over this place from there on. And if you were living during that time, I'm sure you would have nudged someone next to you and say, now that is as good as it gets. But if you had done so, you would have been wrong. See, this is where Exodus ends, but God's glory is just getting started. I want to just fast forward a few generations, their ups and downs, their victories, defeats, But the glory of God, church, is not diminished. Anyone awake this morning? (laughs) The glory of God is not diminished. I want to go to 2 Chronicles 7. Hang with me as we trace this glory. This is where Solomon now has finished the temple. And I want to read to you this part. When Solomon finished praying... 2 Chronicles 7. When Solomon finished praying, the temple is dedicated. They're just inaugurating. The ribbon is being cut. And check this out. Fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not even enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. Can you even imagine that? What if you walked in this morning to Ipsy Free and halfway through the service we had to run out because it was just that thick with the presence of the Lord in this place? One time I had to leave halfway through service because a fire alarm went off. (laughs) We had smoke from someone who uh, had a little stove fire going on, right? But we had to leave. King, that's nothing compared with having to leave because the presence of the Lord was so thick in that place. Can you imagine having been there at that point? Oh, I long to be able to one day experience something like that. And this was different. It was somewhere, somehow beyond just the tabernacle because at this point, this, isn't, this is not just a bigger, better version of the tabernacle. This is a house of prayer for all nations and for all 
well, a long period of time anyway, this is going to be a beacon of God's presence, of his Shekinah glory, that is to be a place that people can rally to from all around the world. And if you had been there at that time, you might have nudged the person next to you and say, now that is as good as it gets. But if you had said that, you would have been wrong. You're following a little bit of a pattern here, right? Why? Because, see, God's just getting warmed up. That temple gets destroyed and rebuilt and rebuilt again. And then, and then in a place called Bethlehem. Hmm. And then in a place called Bethlehem. I guess I had scripture to read. This happens. Oh boy. Oh, what an exciting thing. God's glory gets poured out, not on a place, not on some bricks, not on some marble, not on something designed by people who are building it for God. This is God himself, the creator, the one who is the author of all life, taking his uncontainable glory and somehow cramming it into a human frame who becomes the visible image of the invisible God born in a manger in Bethlehem. And I was thinking about it, and I'm like, man, it's too bad there wasn't a pillar of fire or a pillar of smoke or something, some kind of presence of God shown. And then I'm like, well, duh, the whole sky lights up with a star, a cosmic event visible half the world away. How's that for lights shining on the presence of God coming in to human form that day? And if you had been there, if you had been there, you would have said, this is as good as it gets. And in some ways, it was. This is what we hear about from Philippians 2 much later, talking about this one born in a manger who lives and dies and is raised to life. And then Philippians 2 says, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the what? to the glory of God the Father. And, and as we're reviewing what we start with at Sinai, what gets bigger at the tabernacle, what gets better at the temple, now is culminated in Jesus. And we see in 2 Corinthians 3.10 that first glory, that first glory, thank you whoever's doing the slides, you're doing way better than I am. <laughs> that first glory, read it with me was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. Is anyone encouraged? Like, what are we seeing? We're seeing God constantly outdo himself. But I want to tell you, see, it gets better still. And some of you are like, oh, I'm not sure. I mean, how, where do we go from there? Jesus is born. But do you know what? See, what happens in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost is the next chapter of God bringing glory. Just as his glory had covered Mount Sinai, the tabernacle, the temple is poured out now, not just on one person, but on all believers. On all believers, the fire appears as flames of tongues over each believer in the upper room. The Holy Spirit poured out, freely offered, to all who are in 
Christ Jesus. Like this is a moment that is absolutely the high water mark of God's glory being poured out. His Shekinah glory now settling above each person who is in relationship with him through Jesus. But amazingly, even then, even in that moment, Peter has the sense and the awareness through the Holy Spirit to be able to say, you think this is great. This is only a precursor. This is only a foretaste. This is only a glimpse. Check it out, Acts 2.20, of the great and glorious day of the Lord still to come. He's there in the upper room saying, you think this is great? Just check out what God's got in store for us one day. How could you be in the upper room thinking the best is yet to come when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you understand where God's headed? That's how. Peter says, well, in Acts 3.21 we read anyway, that the final restoration of all things is yet to come, that great and glorious day of the Lord that we're looking forward to. And I just want you to imagine this. I want this to sink in, church, this morning. Ipsy free, you are here, we are here, and that story is not yet complete. That best chapters are still to be written. We're looking forward to that song, that revelation song, just captured it so well when God's glory, his realized kingdom will be fully evident to all of us. Can't you wait for that day? <laughs> Get an amen out there. That'd be a good chance to say an amen right there. It's a day like Habakkuk 2.14 says, when as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled. And I forgot that this key word was in there. The earth will be filled with an awareness of what? Of the glory of the Lord. Oh, I look forward to that day. Now, friends, I want to pause just a second here, and I want to ask you, some of you are going, but what in the world does all this have to do with Columbia and missions and my life? And why are we taking all this time to painstakingly trace glory throughout Scripture? And I want to tell you, it has everything to do with our lives here and now. Why? Because the point of this exercise, friends, is to remind ourselves and remember and celebrate that the God that you and I serve, the God of Scripture, the God who continues to be at work, is constantly outdoing himself. Our God constantly transforms in the direction of glory throughout history. What if he's still doing that now? What if he still longs to do that in our lives? This is the meta-narrative. This is the big picture story of God working in an unstoppable progression towards his ultimate redemptive purposes. And this is happening all around us all the time. I am convinced of this, and I'm about to tell you, and if you don't hear anything else I'm saying this morning, hear this. I am convinced that God is winning and so is his church. Anyone need to hear that this morning? You know why? That's not what we see on Facebook. <laughs> 
You turn on your news, whatever news station you listen to, and that's not the message you're going to get. And sometimes we can live in this, this idea, this, this increasing gloomy fog of despair, like things are getting worse and worse. And I want to tell you, I'm not trying to be Pollyanna. I'm not trying to tell you that everything's great and easy and there aren't any issues and the world isn't broken. Sure, the world is broken. We live in a hurting world. There are so many areas where the, the, we're not in heaven yet. God's final glory has not restored all things, but we're serving a God who despite these areas of brokenness, despite the things that are up and down, is preparing an incredible redemptive work. We get to be a part of that here and now. God is winning, and so is his church. Let me just give you a couple statistics as to why I believe this. Check this out. This is the percentage of the globe which has been evangelized going back to 1900, going up to 2000, and check this in a word. The percentage of the globe which has been evangelized has almost doubled since 1900. Let me just go through a few of these really quick. There were three times as many atheists in 1970, we can go to the next one, as there are today. Three times as many atheists in 1970 as there are today. We can just cycle through these quickly. Thank you. There are four times as many evangelicals, and I don't mean just a political affiliation. I'm talking about people who are people of the gospel, charismatics. There are four times as many evangelicals and charismatics today as in 1970. There are, there's a book, go ahead to this next one. There's a book that tracks what we call church planting movements. And to qualify, you have to have at least 50% church planting growth year over year. They're tracking these movements around the world. And they are saying without hesitation that we are living in the time of the greatest expansion of the church since the days of Pentecost. There are over 200 active church planting movements they are tracking right now around the world. You're like, I haven't seen that on Facebook. That's not showing up on Instagram. Well, guess what? That's part of our role and part of our, 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 our privilege as missionaries to come back from the front line and say, hey, U.S. church, this may not so, show up on your social media feed, but this is what God is doing. This is a part of what your family, by extension, is getting to do around the world. Now, let me just show you a couple of uh, incredible images because the free methodist church has not been left out of this incredible movement look at this from 1860 to 1980 we only got to 22 more countries in the free methodist church since 1980 those 23 countries have become 104 and yesterday we found out about a new one like look at this progression this is how your church is at work throughout the world we can go to the next slide because this not working great, but this is one of those countries. I had to blur the faces because this is a country in Asia where uh, being a Christian is literally a death sentence. Now, last year, they were praying in the pandemic for a chance to have something like 40 or maybe 50 new uh, baptisms that they could celebrate. At the end of that year, they had 221 people be baptized. That deserves a hand clap if I've ever heard something like, God is at the work. And I, I know I'm almost out of time here, but I, gotta, I, I need like, can I have one more minute, two more minutes? 
Raise your hand if I can have a minute. That's like 30 minutes altogether. So I'm just going to... I'm just going to go a couple more minutes here. I'm not even looking at Pastor Steve. I hope I'm okay. But I, I want to just tell you that in Latin America, go to the next slide real quick. We have, this is the growth of our community church plants. These are, uh, these are just clusters of new believers gathering in homes uh, throughout Latin America. In 2019, we had 279. That last thing should say 2021. There's 742. By 2022, our, our latest counts were there at like 779 house churches being planted. Like there is a movement afoot. God is marching towards greater and greater glory. I'm so excited about that. This is uh, just one of those pictures of uh, one of the newest church plants. You actually, you, this church, you may not know this, but, but sent a special offering last year. This is, this is the new uh, outreach that was able to be burst specifically out of the funds that you sent. There were something like 79 people that came to Christ in a 10-day window, and they've been followed up with a new church is being born in a place called Yondo, Colombia. That's something that this church has very specifically been giving to and supporting. And what, what a celebration that's going on right now. I want to show you just, yeah, Amen. Just since the pandemic, 5,576 men, women, and children have given their lives to Jesus through these new church plants. Go ahead. And this, I just want to tell you a a real fast version of this story. This is a a couple, Luis and Natalia, with a bunch of kids. Uh, They were, I'm going to just say, I don't mean this pejoratively, but they were pew sitters. You know, they were members of a church that would sit at the very back, nothing against those in the back, right? But they would just sit in the back at a church we pastored in Tampa. But at 60 years old, a spark started in his life, Luis's life. And, and uh, he's a retired airline agent, and somehow God just lit a fire in his life, like Pastor Steve prayed for a couple people this morning. And and he started going back with his wife to Peru. And they just started visiting people and sharing the gospel, leading some people to Jesus and gathered them in a small group. And that group became two. And then we started connecting them with some resources and some coaching. And well, uh, actually, Lily and I went in April to visit this new church on the banks of the Amazon River in the middle of the Peruvian jungle. And these are three of those groups that were gathered together. But those three groups are part of 12 house groups that had started at that point. I heard last week they've added three more. They're up to 15 community church plants. Now we're looking to send missionaries that can coach and support that. Like This is a part of an incredible movement of God. And here's the key. God uses people that may have never thought they could be a part of something when they make themselves available to him. And I got to ask you a question. I don't want to just talk about Columbia. I want to take these last couple of minutes and I just want to ask about you and your life and where you are this morning. So you may have walked in this morning very aware of all the brokenness around us. Maybe there's some things heavy on your heart. Maybe there's controversy on Facebook. Maybe there's political polarization that's weighing you down. Maybe you're concerned about some kind of turmoil. Maybe you're worried about the state of the Detroit Lions. I don't know. But whatever is burdening your heart this morning, let me be serious. Maybe you walked in this morning and there's something about your family 
that you're just carrying heavy on your heart, heavy on your shoulders. Maybe there's something in your personal life, your, your walk with the Lord. Maybe there's something about this church and where you're headed and where you've been from, and, and you sort of feel like this, where you think, okay, up until this point in my life or our family or our church or our community, we have only made it to here. And maybe you say we had a high watermark, you know, whether that was pre-pandemic or 1950s or whatever that high watermark is for you. We used to be here, now we're only here, and I sure wish we could do something about it, but we've tried our hardest, we can't make any progress, we've done everything, we've prayed, we've, we've, we've talked, we've tried to change, but we just can't break out of it. Here's the message, here's this whole thing about glory. We are not a people who are to be defined by nostalgia. We are not a people who are supposed to say, you know, our best days, the good old days were something that happened before us, before now. Here's the message. We are supposed to be a people not defined by nostalgia, much less by despair or much less by defeat. We are a people who are supposed to understand, who are called and invited into understanding that our God wants us to be a people defined by hope where he would say, look, you've made it up to here so far. You trust me, you follow me, you hang in there. I've got greater things yet to write for your family. I've got greater things in store for your life, your walk with me. You think your best days with me were 30 years ago? You lean in, you press in, you persevere, and you see what I've got ready for you tomorrow. Anyone awake this morning? What if our best days are yet to come? I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to oversimplify things. Some things, you know, I don't think the best days for my hair are 20 years from now. <laughs> right? Like there's some things that we got to wait for heaven to be restored. But as I look at these kids here this morning, as I look at your faces this morning, I don't just see where we are. I see where God might invite us to be. I see future leaders, pastors, counselors, maybe some missionaries in this group. I look out at you and I see, I don't, I don't know your story. I don't know your struggles. I don't know your burdens. I don't know what the church leadership is going through. I don't know your joys. I don't know your sorrows. But I know that our God is a God who constantly outdoes himself and invites us to participate in a restoration where the end result is better than the original. I'm going to end here in just a second with, with a prayer and an invitation to take a, a step of faith I want to put a scripture up here, though, just a second. I, I don't know where that is in my PowerPoint. Maybe it's coming up, if we could just go there. It, we're going to just read this from 2 Corinthians 3, 8. I want to just read it out. Here's what it says. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory? Here's what the verse says. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving light? He's given life to us. That gives us a chance to expect greater things here to come. Now, 
What does that look like for you? Well, you know, maybe it has something to do with Columbia. We would love to talk to you about ways that you could personally plug in in prayer that we have every Monday night. I'd love to have a couple people from Ipsy Free on a weekly basis connect with Nikki and I for a 30-minute one, well, not one-on-one, but personalized time of prayer that we have. We give a report from the field. We give you names to pray for. We, we don't have more than about 10 or 12 people in this group, but we'd love it to be 20 and 30 and 50. We'd love to have just an army of people in the States who are praying specifically for what God's doing, being able to celebrate things happen. We'd love to invite you to be a part of that. We've got some financial opportunities and and needs that we'd love to tell you about. We've got another missionary couple going from Mexico to Bolivia. We've got some of their information out there this morning. We'd love to tell you about that. But see, this isn't just about inviting you to partner in Colombia or Latin America. I'm going to end with a prayer where I want to invite you this morning to take a step of faith and to take whatever it is, family, uh, you know, your walk with Jesus, your spiritual life, uh, your, your outlook on the country or, or on the church or on the church with a capital C. And I want to invite you to begin expecting greater glory and praying in that direction. So how about if we stand up a minute? Just stand up wherever you are. And I, I apologize. I, I know I took a couple extra minutes here, but I just really wanted to get to this uh, opportunity to pray with you this morning. And I want to invite you right now to do a couple things. First, would you just, in prayer, um, and if someone would like to come play the keyboard, you're welcome to do that. But just in prayer, how about if we just began by repenting to the Lord a moment? 